Thank you. It's fun being here. Uh, I like the kids dancing around and having such a good time. Uh, there's just a joy that you bring. Uh, thank you, Ted, for sharing what you shared wherever you are, um, because I was a part of that journey for a little bit uh, when Greg died, etc. So I really appreciate that, where that's coming from. Um, I, I just love doing what God asked me to do. Sanctuary, let's put that on there. See if I remembered the code. I did. That's looking good. Um, can't do two things at once. That's one of the joys of when you get older, you try to figure all this stuff out anyway. Um, so, um, by the way, that's not a picture of Alberta. Out. Uh, that's a picture of BC. Um, but I did take that picture, so um, just so you know. All right. Uh, no, it should be all right. It should be up. Yeah. Um, I, I did appreciate the worship very much this morning. I, when you're speaking and the worship ties into what you're sharing, it really helps a lot to think, oh, I think I heard the Lord for you. All right. So we'll, we'll find out this morning. You get to be the judge of that. Um, but I, I just want to share a little bit this morning. Uh, out of second, uh, second, whatever it is, second Corinthians, uh, chapter twelve. Uh, but before I start that, let me just pray, Father. I'm asking you by your Spirit to do what only you can do. You bring revelation and truth to us, and you have a way of doing that, taking a man's words who are weak, and and, and you amplify them into our hearts. And you enable us to hear you in ways that maybe we haven't heard you before. So I'm asking for that this morning. Holy Spirit, you'll do what you want to do for each one of us here because you love us so much. Lord Jesus, you love us. And that was, that was expressed this morning. We'd love to express that back to you. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. A man was in a fancy restaurant and uh, sitting beside him was a gorgeous redhead. And uh, he was kind of keeping his eye on her and because uh, she's just the next table over. And uh, he was checking her out, and, and, and he, but he didn't have the nerve to go over and greet her. And suddenly she sneezes, like she really sneezes. And her glass eye pops out. And, <laughs> and this man instinctively reaches out and he grabs it. And so then he brings it over to her and she says, oh, I'm so sorry. He says, no, no, no problem. He says, uh, um, and she just pops it back into her eye. And then uh, she says, well, look, why don't you join me for dinner? And I'll pay for dinner. Just a way of saying thank you for what you've done. So, well, he's thrilled because this is what he's hoping for anyway. So they have dinner together. And as they're towards the end of their dinner, he says, uh, she says to him, look, I'm going to the theater. Uh, and I've got uh, an extra ticket. Would you like to come with me? He couldn't believe his luck. He says, wow, that's amazing. So they share in, the, in, in their dinner in the, in the theater, and they, they're talking, and the conversation is just natural. It just flows back and forth. And then after um, the, the uh, theater is over, they, they, he walks her back to her place, and, uh, and she says, look, this has been really too good. We've just really enjoyed, really connected. How about if you come for breakfast tomorrow morning? Well, again, he can't believe this. It's unbelievable. So the next day he goes for breakfast. She cooks this beautiful gourmet meal with all the trimmings. And the guy says to her, 
listen, you are amazing. Everything you do is so incredible. He says, you're just the perfect woman. Are you nice to this, to every person you meet? Oh, she says, no, well, she says, you just happened to catch my eye. <laughs> All right. Okay, S stay with me. Don't let that groaner. <laughs> stay with me. All right. Kevin liked that one, so I know. I've hit a home run. I hit a home run when I get Kevin to groan, so. <laughs> that is good. All right. Now, um, how many of you know any English teachers here? You're not going to admit it. Ah, okay. What does the word anomaly mean? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good, Deets. That's pretty good. It's close. It means unexpected, all right? The anomaly is, means unexpected, or that which is, differs from the norm, all right? So, very good. Top of the class to you, all right? So, now, uh, I, have, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians. It's sort of one of my theme passages, if you want, in my life, um, because I'm no stranger to weakness. I understand weakness personally, uh, and I've always have. In fact, I suspect, uh, although I'm getting on in my life, that I'm still going to, I'm still going to have weakness to the day I die. All right, I just kind of suspect that. Um, in fact, I, I don't, I don't want to glory weakness in a wrong sense. All right, but um, Paul is saying some amazing truth here. So let's have a look at this. Um, it, do you guys read here in Ontario? Do you read? All right, well, let's read this together. Can you read that? All right, okay. All right, let's read it together. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I frame so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Interesting, really interesting passage. And it's not that I want to glorify in my weaknesses in a wrong sense, but 
Paul does say, this is quite amazing. He says, look, weakness is something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. All right. For a lot of us, and since I just finished talking about shame all weekend, it's kind of caught my attention that a lot of us struggle with our weaknesses. Over the years, I've done many uh, personality tests with people, and I, the one I most often use is called the California Personality Inventory. Everyone I've done, including in my own, I've noticed strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> I've noticed strengths and weaknesses. All right, everybody has them. You have them, I have them. We all have them. And so, although Paul says he boasts in his weakness, and he even delights in them. Now, you know what? I don't know that I could go that far, all right? I'm aware of my weaknesses. I'm not sure I can say I delight in my weaknesses. Uh, I'm aware all the time that my weaknesses um, are, are part of my life, but most of the time I find ways to avoid them. All right, I don't like to tell people about that. So, uh, any anybody I, see, I have trouble identifying with Paul here. Anyone else besides me have struggle identifying with this? I, I mean, I, we do, don't we? If we're honest, we often do. Uh, early in my life, um, I shared a bit of my story with the Friday night and Saturday. Uh, I am um, I'm a twin. I have a twin brother. I'm from a family of six children. My parents raised six children in six years because they had two sets of twins, all right? Yeah, my poor mother, she's a saint in heaven. I know that for sure. But I felt often as a twin, I felt inferior to my twin brother. I felt weak in a lot of things. I went through school. I thought I was stupid. I felt unintelligent. Uh, I often, I struggled with a lot of insecurity. And of course, because of my relationship with my brother, although he never felt, he never acted superior to me, but I felt that inferiority. And so when I did face my weaknesses, I, I, I did something that we talk about in psychology, I compensated, all right? So I tried to compensate for that. I thought eventually when I figured out I, I could work hard, because in my early days I didn't, <laughs> but I learned to work hard, and so in that working hard, I thought, well, I'll overcome a lot of my weakness. I thought, if I get enough education, now, I know God was in all that, but I got education. If I get education, I'll finally be somebody. Mm, guess what? It doesn't work. I've met many profs with, you know, double doctorates, etc., and I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case. I thought, I know what I can do. I'll organize my life. So in my insecurity, if I get nice and organized, I'll, I'll work it around, and I felt good when I organized. Or I thought if I controlled things. So I was a bit of a control freak. I pray I'm not anymore, but I was a bit of a control freak because I controlled lots of things. That made me feel good. I even tried being nice. That only worked for a little while. <laughs> but I thought, I'll just be nice. People will like me if I'm nice, all right? Uh, and so I've, I've known about this passage right back in the Bible school days. I remember um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I remember this, all right? But I don't think, and I actually even taught on it early days, and I didn't have a clue what I was teaching back in those, but anyway, I taught on it. But I don't think I've understood it personally until the last few years, all right? And one thing I would say is uh, I probably have never de delighted in my weaknesses. I, I had trouble accepting them for a long time. So I I've wrestled most of my life with accepting my weaknesses. Now, 
Paul actually says, this is an important facet for the body of Christ and for the church. And he raises this issue on Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So why does he say that? Because if Christ has accepted you, the demonstration of that is you accept others. You know, in a family and a church family as well, one of our tensions is we will get, uh, the, what creates tension between us is that we have trouble accepting. I like your strengths, your weaknesses are a different matter. Part of the reason we have trouble accepting other people's weaknesses, we have not really come to the place of accepting our own weaknesses. So uh, in, in the Roman church, they had uh, two issues that they were battling over. One was, should I eat meat or should I eat vegetables? All right. Or should, can I eat both? And so there was a tension in the Roman church over that. The other tension is, which day should we meet? So some of them, of course, were falling back into some of the old Jewish customs, so they wanted to meet on Saturday, which, by the way, is perfectly fine if you choose to meet that day. Others were meeting on Sunday because it's the first day of the week and the, the early church was starting to shift in that direction. Now, uh, they had tensions over that, and so Paul is simply saying, you know, if you have tensions, part of the reason is because I'm not accepting uh, someone else. I, I know that in marriage, I've been married for 45 years, uh, we've only had one fight, it's lasted for 45 years. No, it's not true. <laughs> but over the years, I mean, I love my wife dearly, but the fact is, you have conflict in marriage. It's just normal, all right? And so... Over the process, what happens is Sherry gets frustrated with my weaknesses. I get frustrated with her weaknesses. Guess what? We both got them, all right? And so that's, that, that's what happens in marriage as well as in family. Now, how can we accept someone else in their weakness if we haven't learned to come to place and accept our own strengths and weaknesses? All right, now let, let's look at the passage a bit more because we're allowed, actually, boasting about our strengths so I would rather talk about my strengths than my weaknesses, all right? So I come out, someone says, how are you? My name is Graham. My name is John or Joe or Patty or Sally or whatever else. And so I then immediately begin spilling out to them all my weaknesses. We don't do that, do we? No. Well, he said, well, you see, I'm a psychologist, and I've been a psychologist for 38 years now, and I was a pastor for many of those years, and I've traveled the world, and I've been to 20 different countries, and so that's what we like to tell people. And by the way, that's fairly normal, all right? You're not abnormal if you do that, all right? But of course, uh, because we have weaknesses, uh, we don't at the same time need to be ashamed of our strengths, because you all not only have weaknesses, you all have strengths, right? And so we, we accept that. That's a part of who we are. If we struggle with that, there may be a sense of inferiority we're dealing with because everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Now, Paul is not unaware of his strengths. In fact, he discusses them in the passage, but it, it's really interesting um, that, that what his challenge is is how to present it without falling into an area of pride. So he says this in the passage, I go on boasting, uh, um, there, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. Now, notice what he does. He puts it into the third person, all right, to keep himself, to be careful that he doesn't get too proud of this. And then he actually, then he's telling them all about, everybody knows it, who it's about, all right? Uh, um, I was caught up to the third heaven. Anybody been up to the third heaven so far? 
None of you? What's the matter with you? <laughs> I am neither. <laughs> All right, so uh, whether it was in the body, out of the body, I don't know. In other words, there, there's, there's mystery in this whole process. And he says, um, I was caught up to paradise, heard inexpressible things that no one was permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except my weaknesses. Now, that's a phenomenal experience. Uh, my wife, Sherry, has a neutropathic doctor that she has visited over the years, uh, who's a Christian and a wonderful lady. And a couple years ago, we dropped in to get some meds from her, and she said, oh, you've got to come into my office. So we, she actually was seeing somebody, and, and then when she finished, she brought us in. And she said, I have a story to tell. Uh, and so she said, I was in my home. I was up to the, the second floor of my home, and I slipped, and I fell on the stairs. And I got up, and I was kind of woozy. And I fell over a banister. Actually, I broke it and fell down to the first floor. So probably a 10, 12-foot drop, all right? And her husband was waiting outside in the car for her to come, and she wasn't coming, so he came in, and there she was lying on the floor. She's broken her neck and broken her back. And so they quickly rushed her to the hospital. Uh, in, this was in Calgary. And um, the, her son, one of her, one of her children, her son is a, is a surgeon. It worked in Calgary. Now he's located in Montreal. So as soon as that this was, he was told, he got his other doctor friends, and there were, I think there were 14 doctors, he said, looking after her. And her daughter was there on her bed, and, and basically she was dead, right? And uh, so she said, while that was going on, down on earth, she says, I was in heaven, and I got greeted by Jesus. This, was, this is the story she told us. And, and he gave me, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but anyway, this is what her story was. And she got, I got a great big hug from Jesus. And as he did that, my back cracked, my neck cracked, he said, and I was healed. And then he said to her, uh, I've got things for you to do on earth. Are you willing to go back? And she said, yes. So she went back to earth. And, while she, and then she sits up in bed and everyone says, you can't, mom, what are you doing? Lie down. And so you got a broken back. Uh, no, Jesus healed me. Neat story, eh? <laughs> so she got up to the third heaven or the fourth. I'm not sure fifth. Maybe somewhere up there. She got up there, and she came back. Now, now she was telling us that story. Now, I'm simply saying here that in this, there's amazing truths that Paul has got, and he doesn't know what he's allowed to share, all right? So he's, he's careful. But it seems to guard his heart from pride, Paul talked about these revelations, I said, in the third person, and as if he's not even referring to himself. Now, the danger with focusing on our strengths is not wrong, but the danger is we take credit for them. See, and that produces in us a pride. Now, all of our strengths ultimately come from God. Are you aware of that? See, they may come through good upbringing. In other words, your parents so I have some of my father's strengths and my mother's strengths. It was passed on, all right? Uh, they may come through education and training. So if you have mentors, tutors, uh, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, etc., so they have passed it on. So that's still from God. Some of it has actually come from being uh, disciplined, but where does self-discipline come from? It comes from being disciplined. I am very grateful for the discipline my father gave me uh, so some of that eventually kicked in later on, all right? So uh, sometimes then we can go to the other extreme and have a false humility and say, well, shucks, uh, someone pays you a compliment. Oh, that's not me. That's the Lord. Well, 
it is the Lord, but it's you, too. He's working through you. And so we need to be able to accept and feel good about ourselves and accept honest compliments. But Paul says that we can actually fool ourselves or be fools if we take credit for all the strength that we have. So it's okay to accept that and receive compliments, but we want, don't want to do it in the wrong way. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 remind us, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All right? So, and I've met many people through the educational system who, if you ask them, would they take total credit for who they are and where they are? Probably that's called humanism. So when we boast about our strengths, it's okay to boast about them as long as we say, I do know where they came from. I do understand the strengths that God has given me come from, where they, from him himself. Uh, God has given me a capacity to analyze and see things. Uh, I know where that comes from, all right? So I, I take credit. At the same time, uh, many people come to see me for counseling because they recognize a strength, all right? So I'm not going to deny that strength. So I would say go ahead and acknowledge your strengths, but don't forget to give credit for where it comes from, all right? It's always good to do that. So Romans 15, Paul says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus, in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So he was not unaware of how God was using him to touch the whole Gentile world. All right? But he says, I, I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So now, part of what this, this happens is that suffering really is a part of that journey, and the, the word antecedent means that which has gone before, all right? So suffering, in order to, to have true strength, there will be things that we will go through. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. So when you have strength, we are speaking the truth, all right? But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited or proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Uh, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Now, I, I don't want to go into a whole bunch of this. Lots of people have speculated what that is. Uh, they thought, well, he had a, a weakness in his eyesight, possibility, uh, he had, some people say he had epilepsy, some people say he had issues with malaria, uh, sometimes people say he had migraines, other people say that thorn in the flesh was actually another person. So, for example, Alexander the coppersmith, or who? His mother-in-law. His mother-in-law. <laughs> Wait a minute now, is your mother here, Sherry? <laughs> I'd like to greet her. <laughs> Paul's, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you got yourself into trouble there, Kev. <laughs> uh, whatever it was, all right, whatever it was, um, it was there for God's divine purposes, all right? Uh, I'm not saying that God, God, God doesn't cause suffering. God doesn't bring anything evil, all right? We're very clear on that. But is it where he pulls back? And so sometimes that happens, and there's other examples in Scripture. So, for example, there's good old Job, all right? If you've read it recently, you realize that what God did is he pulled back and allowed Satan to do, because God can't do evil, but Satan did. Moses, uh, after creating some of his own problems, you know, God puts him in the wilderness for 
40 or a third of his life in, in order to train him for the last third. Joseph goes through, we don't know how many years, 11, 10, 11, 12 years in prison, etc., all because God was training him to become potentially the next Pharaoh, but also to lead his people. Peter, of course, had strengths and weaknesses, right? And so, and then there's Hezekiah, uh, who was actually one of the great kings along with David. Um, but instead of this of Hezekiah, it was he who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring, channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. It was a huge accomplishment, all right? He succeeded in everything he undertook. How would you like to have that on your epitaph? I succeeded in everything I undertook, all right? But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, it says God left him to test him to know everything that was in his heart. Eee, it scares me a bit, all right? God leaves me to test me to find out what's really in my heart. You know, um, God withdrew from Hezekiah to test him, and Hezekiah didn't pass the test in this area very well. It appears that Paul, God did the same thing for Paul. He pulled back from Paul and said, all right, I'm going to test you and see what you do and what you're going to handle it. Now, in that, God does that because he has a larger purpose in what he's doing. He doesn't do it just to see us fail. He doesn't do that just to make us look foolish or stupid, but he tests at times. And I bet every one of you have been through times, especially if you're older, where God has tested you to see what's in your heart. So suffering has a way of bringing it back to the reality of how frail we really are, all right? That's what it does. It checks if you start having success upon success. In fact, my spiritual father, Dwayne Harder, said to me one time, you know what, failure is actually a lot easier to handle than success, all right? And if you haven't been there yet, you, you haven't lived yet <laughs> because it will come. Now, the fact is our lives are hanged by a thread. In one sense, they hang by a thread, all right? On the other hand, um, that thread is held by God. I'm very thankful for that. But just recently, the killings in New Zealand uh, of those 49 or 50 people, etc. I mean, they, they went to, to the mosque. They did not expect to come to, to die in their own mosque, etc. So those things kind of happen to us. At any point in our life, we start to think that we have strength because of our own will and our effort. All right, and when we do that, God says, hmm, maybe it's time I'm going to pull back and we'll just test that. Now, I don't like suffering. I'll admit that to you. I don't like suffering. I don't like failure. I especially don't like my sins being exposed. That's happened a number of times in my life. Um, I don't like struggle. All right. Uh, I don't like actually even being disciplined or challenged. Uh, and when my wife does that, I think, uh, I, can't, I can't believe you're doing that. I probably should stop walking around. It's the static, I think, I'm picking up here. I thought this was human client, climate here. Anyway, it's not. Um, and so, but the fact is, some of my best growth, maybe the best growth I have, does not even always come from my spiritual father, but it's come from my wife. All right? You got that, wives? You can help your husbands. Husbands, you can help your wives as well. All right? Now, um, Without suffering, uh, we will not mature in the Christian life. Now, I'm not, I don't want to glorify suffering in the wrong sense, but um, it appears that I'm not 
probably too far off because in Hebrews 5 it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Actually, it's, uh, it's the, the Greek word for fear here. All right, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, once matured, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I, I reason this way. If Jesus had to learn obedience, and he's the son of God and the son of man, if he had to learn obedience for what he suffered, guess what? There's a possible chance that we'll do the same thing if we want to mature. Now, let's move on because I don't want to stop with suffering. We, we move past that. So the place of grace in our weakness so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I heard from Kevin that he's been speaking about grace, all right? So I thought, hmm, that's partly why I thought I should just address this with you. I love the concept and the topic of grace. It's amazing to me uh, to sing a song like that, don't we? All right. So... God wants to display his strength through our weakness. All right. That's where he begins to say, so you think you got strength? Let me just pull back for a bit and see how much strength you have. Now, let me apply my grace to your weakness and let's see what happens. It actually is far greater in that way. Now, it becomes, if you want for us, a way of life. And I accept the fact that God will take me through difficult times because he wants to demonstrate his love and his grace to me and watch what happens in that. So uh, when he does that, his grace his counteracts my weakness. And, and instead of where I, my weakness might lead me into sin and destruction, it, he actually leads me into failure and success. Now, God's grace sometimes is seen as a nebulous concept, I'm actually tempted to ask you for definitions of grace because Kevin's been teaching on it, but I won't do that, <laughs> just in case you haven't been paying attention. God's grace is simply this, all right? God's favor, God's pleasure, his acceptance, his strength, his power, his presence. That's, it's, it's really hard to define it kind of in a nutshell. I define it simply this way. It's his empowering presence. That's what I see grace as. Grace, if you want, is power. All right? That's something that when God's grace shows up, it actually empowers me to do what I can't do on my own. I, that's why I love the concept of grace. By the way, the opposite of which is witchcraft. That's Satan's strength and power is to get you to manipulate. All right? so, the, so the opposite of that is we don't, we don't manipulate, we don't make things work for us in our own strength. We allow God to do that. That's his grace. And I really appreciate that. So uh, I have experienced this in countless times in my life. But just a couple of examples. I'm, I'm counseling with somebody. They're pouring their heart out, and I'm going, I have no idea what to do with this. That actually happens sometimes. I have no idea. It's just, it seems really convoluted and complicated, etc. But as I keep listening, by the way, in counseling, if you learn the counsel, you have to learn to listen. So you listen, you listen. And I'm, uh, while I'm doing that, sometimes I'm praying in the Spirit, and I say, oh, God, what's going on here? Holy Spirit, show me what's going on. And all of a sudden, it becomes clear to me. Fuzzy, fuzzy, and then it becomes clear. 
And so I respond back, and it's like I hit the nail on the head. Now, I know where that comes from. I'm not patting myself on the back, because I know where that comes from. And I, sometimes I'll go after it. I say, Sherry, that was amazing. Or sometimes she's in the counseling session. I say, that was amazing. I'm not talking about me. I have experienced that countless times. I go, wow, God really showed up, all right? That's his grace. I absolutely love it. Now, the, um, Paul says in the phrase, my strength is made perfect in my weakness. What does he mean by that? The Greek word perfect is the word teleos, which simply means to be fully developed or matured, all right? So if I want to be matured, then I have to allow God to work in my weakness. So get this. Our weakness is God's only way of developing his strength in us. Because he won't develop in your strength. Because then you get the credit for it. But he will develop in your weakness, so you always are aware, I know where this came from. So unless we accept our weaknesses, we will be immature in our development. Does that make sense to you? Unless we accept, I'm not talking about groveling and weakness, I'm not talking about that at all. I just accept, I have strengths and I have weaknesses. And when I accept my weaknesses, then I'm saying now, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the capacity. I don't know how to get through this. This problem is over my head. I mean, I do even simple little things. I, I'm in a hurry to go out somewhere and I can't find my keys. Now, normally they're in the drawer where they're supposed to be, but I can't find them. And so I, I start to, because I'm on a time frame, and I say, where are those keys? And I thought, mm, I'm, so I'm frustrated. And then I say, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, where are those keys? And I can't tell you the number of times I've found things, not just keys. And I've said, I, where are those? And he just he directs me. He directs my thoughts, directs my eyes, whatever. Someplace I didn't look, there they are. My weakness, his strength. I love it, all right? Now, let me, let me just share with you just a little bit of my weakness, all right? So I'm going to, like Paul, boast in my weaknesses, all right? I have a need to be needed. It's been there all my life. I need to be needed. I have a huge need to be liked and be accepted, all right? I'm aware of that. Um, I'm aware that I don't like rejection. Of course, most people don't. <laughs> But I don't like rejection, all right? That's another thing I'm aware about myself. As a young boy, growing up in this family of six children, uh, I was quite needy. Um, and I, I, I we, although it was a close-knit family, uh, I struggled a lot, as I said earlier, with my sense of inferiority to my, towards my twin brother. As I got into my teens... Uh, I started to, I did different things to vie for attention because inside I felt really weak. But, for example, when I played sports, rugby and football, etc., I became really aggressive because it was a way to compensate for the fact that I'm only five foot six and a half. Don't forget the half, all right? <laughs> because I wanted people to like me, as I got into my teens, I learned, and I got past some of my insecurity, I learned to play the clown role. So I would joke, etc., and I was sort of the village idiot and the clown in the family, etc., you know, and I, I did that because I wanted people to like me. I, I, after high school, which I didn't even finish the first time around, uh, I uh, eventually had to take correspondence to pass my math course. Um, I went, took a year off, then went to Bible college. The first year of Bible college, almost flunked out, 
because I so needed to be liked and accepted, but I wasn't very disciplined. So uh, summer in my second year, between, in the summer between my first year and my second year, I, I decided if I was going to get anywhere, I better work. Uh, something shifted in me, so I worked. Well, by the time I finished Bible college, I was a student body president. I was the valedictorian. I mean, I can't believe that because of where I started, all right? So again, I'm saying that all those things were, were developed. And then as I went on to university, um, I had this analytical ability within me that it wasn't developed and began to get developed. And so I was as good at seeing things, all right? The problem was because of my neediness and my insecurity, I, I used them to advance my own cause, all right? So, for example, I would see someone's weakness or struggle or whatever else, and I, I would pose it from here, look down on them, and uh, say, oh, well, I know what's wrong with you. And I, in my early days of counseling, I tried to fix people. Well, I've since learned you don't fix anybody, all right? That's the Holy Spirit's job, all right? You don't try to fix people. Um, this neediness caused problems for me, particularly because my wife would pay that price, all right? So I, I, I'd get so busy with getting, helping people that sometimes she would say, do I even exist in your life? Right, so, so, so in other words, my neediness was getting away because I would say yes to everybody who asked and then Sherry paid the price and my kids would pay a price. I was a driven man. Uh, it looked good on the outside, but as Jesus said, there was a whole sepulcher of dead man's bones in there. So, I mean, again, I, I looked good, but underneath, if you knew me real well, you knew there was other stuff there. So... Um, one day I was meeting with my spiritual father, with Dwayne, and at the end of a time we were working th some things out. He was helping me, in other words. And at the end, he finished off the session by saying, uh, Graham, he says, you're a needy man. Now, I'd never heard that before. It was, uh, and so I, I thought to him, who, what, where is he getting this from? I, I don't, I, and it was totally like it was, I had never allowed myself to think in that way. So I was hurt. I was rejected, but I can't show him that, of course. He didn't know that. So after he left, I thought, where is he getting off on this? I don't think that's right. And, and so uh, I, I thought, well, he's missed it on that way for sure. Well, one day I was reading in the Psalms, and I read this in Psalm 40. And this is Psalm of David. He says, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. I thought, what? I've never seen that before. And then I kept reading through the Psalms, and guess what? It shows up in Psalm 70, Psalm 86, and Psalm 109. Four times David says, yet I am poor and needy. David's one of my heroes. So I thought, mm, okay, is there a possibility that Dwayne was right? Just a slight possibility. I'm out running one morning. I was a runner for about 38 years. I'm out running, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit showed me a picture. It was a picture of, uh, of all things a pig, all right? And this pig, I don't know how many nipples or tits a pig has, but some, apparently it varies, but anyway, something about maybe eight of them. Well, anyway, the, the, this, this pig had nine piglets. So one is in there trying to get in, trying to get, you know, a hold of a nipple and et cetera. I thought, the Holy Spirit said, see, that's you. Oh, okay. And that made a bit of sense to me, all right, uh, that I was trying so hard to get to be somebody when I was younger. And then uh, I began to ask the Lord, well, show me where it came from in my childhood. And he began to show me some things out of my childhood. And finally, I came to a place of acceptance. 
uh, and I'm, I'm not beating myself up. I'm just being honest with you all right here. Uh, I said, Lord, I'm beginning to see some things I've never seen before because I got, I got really into performance, all right, and into a lot of things. So I said, Lord, would you take it away? And he said, no, I'm not going to take that away. He says, what am I going to do? He says, said, I'm going to teach you something. John 15, 5, apart from me, Graham, you can do nothing. And, you know, I sort of believe that. I actually had taught on that. I sort of believe it, but I didn't really believe it. And then I began to say, Lord, I understand what you're saying. I need you. I need you. And so um, I, I know that I don't, I'm, I think I'm still learning this to some degree, but I, I know that I need Jesus in my weakness. So I just, I know that I know that I know that I need him. Now, I'm not telling you that because I'm supposed to. That's a heart issue for me. I absolutely know that I need him in me. I need his strength. I need his grace in me. And so uh, this began to show up in my relationship with Sherry. Uh, I began to accept her in her weaknesses because some of our conflicts would come out of the fact that I was frustrated with her weaknesses because they impacted and affected me. So then uh, as I was learning that lesson, I started treating her better. I started loving her more. I started Our relationship really grew out of that. And of course, I'm, one of the things I'm grateful is that she's accepted me in my weaknesses. Because she did that, um, I... I was able to accept myself better because she accepted me in my weakness instead of looking down on me. Every man wants to be respected. And so she accepted me in my weaknesses, and then I learned to accept her and her weaknesses. And so in all of that, um, we, we, we struggle with this whole question, but God is basically saying we begin by accepting our own weaknesses so he can pour his strength in us so we can accept other people and their weaknesses and so that we, it's be, you know, the church becomes a welcoming place. I love what you said earlier. Somebody said earlier here just said, this is, well, I think it was you, Mark. He said, this is a place, you're welcome here. We want you to know that. Now, the reality is uh, we can advertise that, but where's the reality? I'm not suggesting there isn't a reality. I'm just saying that, that we need that reality. It needs to be functional. So the power of weakness. How am I doing for time? Um, am I supposed to quit? I better finish off here. Okay. Um, second, uh, Kevin warned me I only have so much time. No, he didn't. Uh, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. All right? I believe that accepting ourselves as God sees us, strengths and weaknesses, is the right place to be. Not, not just weaknesses, because you have strengths. He gave them to you, but you have strengths and weaknesses. So Romans 12 says this, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That's what I'm talking about, strengths and weaknesses, in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. So this first step of transitioning into strength is accepting your weaknesses because God already accepts you. There's nothing he doesn't know about you. He likes you. And, we, and, and in the worship, we were actually expressing that in our worship, in the sensitivity and the tenderness of the worship this morning. In fact, uh, that's what we are learning to do, that accepting our weaknesses is the only way to see Christ's power functional 
in us, all right? If we, if we carry on in our own strengths, I think sometimes what God says, okay, go ahead, let's see how long, how far you get with that. But when we come to a place of sort, I need you, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every day I start my day and I say, Lord, I don't want to do this day without you because every time I do, I mess up. I need you, I want you in there. So focusing on your own strengths leaves you having to come up with the goods. Focusing on your weaknesses allows you to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything that you do. So your prayer life will sound something like this. Help me, Holy Spirit. I can't see where I'm going. Help me, Holy Spirit. What's going on? One of my favorite questions is always, what's going on, Holy Spirit? Show me. In counseling, in everything I'm doing, I'm saying, what's going on? I can't see. What's going on? Show me. All right? Where's your wisdom, Holy Spirit? I need it. I don't have enough of my own. Uh, what direction do I go now, Holy Spirit? What do I do here? So we develop a reliance on the Spirit of Jesus because we can't do it on our own. Our difficulty in this is we spend a lifetime trying to avoid our weaknesses rather than accepting them, right? And that's where we struggle. Now, it's, I'm not talking about groveling. I, I'm not talking at all about groveling and weaknesses. That's not what I'm saying. But it's each day I recognize how much I need Jesus, how much I need his grace, how much I need his wisdom, how much I need his direction for the day. And so we, we can accept again, just starting with a theological or even an intellectual agreement and believing what the truth of God's word says is, I believe what God's word says. I accept God's worth in this truth this morning. But then we also have to allow the Holy Spirit to touch our emotions. Because a lot of times the issue is I can believe it here, but here I don't practice it. Here I don't know it. Here I struggle because I struggle with inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy, or whatever else. So allow God to heal your emotions. By the way, that's what we were talking about in the horror of shame, all right? Because we live lots of times in shame. and We're hidden from it. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge shame, which is, you know, which is weakness. But we, until we acknowledge that and work that through, we don't realize how much we need it. Paul concludes with this. And he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's why I think I can say, accept your weaknesses. Enjoy them in the sense that when you're understanding your weakness, accept them. Then you can say, God, pour your strength. Pour your grace through me. I want to see what it looks like. Satan wants you to avoid your weaknesses, not embrace them. He'll tell you lies all the time. He'll... He'll say, well, you can do that. You can just go for it. You do it, uh, etc." But when we believe his lies, we get stuck in weakness. We get stuck in inferiority. We get stuck, stuck in inadequacy. And we can't use this truth. So where are you this morning? Where are you in this journey? Do you want to experience weakness in your strength? That's the question. Do you want to experience his strength in your weakness? So let me, let me just close with this. Uh, why don't you just um, close your eyes and I'm going to ask you some questions that you can respond to in your heart. You can respond to the Holy Spirit. Don't respond to me, but respond to the Holy Spirit and respond to Jesus this morning. All right? And as, as ask these questions, you can give yes, God, or no, God. You can tell him what you want. So let me just ask these. Do you want to experience his strength in your weakness? Will you confess your weakness and your neediness to him every day?
Will you accept yourself as God does when you're confronted by your weaknesses and your failures and sins? Will you accept the fact that you have strengths and weaknesses? Will you receive his forgiveness wherever you sin or fail or have your weaknesses take over? Will you receive his forgiveness? Just receive them, confess and receive them and allow God to use your weakness out of that. Will you begin to be open with others about God's grace in you, God's grace in your weakness and allow the Holy Spirit to turn weakness into strength so you honor Father God. Will you affirm in your spirit daily, his grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficiency. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Father, thank you for the powerful truth of your word. And thank you, Father, that you delight in us. You love us beyond our understanding. But you love us enough not to leave us where we're at. You love us enough to say, I have so much more I want to do through you. So much more I want to accomplish in the desert stream. So much more I want to accomplish in your marriage, in your family. So, Father, thank you for what you're doing. And so, Father, we do confess how we... We, we get very ashamed of our weakness. And we don't want to live there. But we do embrace our weakness. We accept our weakness. And we say, pour your strength through our weakness. Let Jesus be glorified. Let people see Jesus in me. I thank you for that. I, I bless Desert Stream and all that you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.